the boat, and Jesus was on the boat with them, and worn out. I mean, he'd been physically tired, our Savior, and all these people had been thronging him, and, and so they had gotten on the boat, and they were sailing that night, and Jesus was down in the boat and was asleep, and while he was asleep, we know that the waves came up, and and even still today, they say that the winds can pick up on the Sea of Galilee quickly and, and become very dangerous for small boats, and they can capsize, and people drown, and a lot of people lose their lives because of that. And, and so anyway, these, these men who are fishermen, many of them, at least four of them, and here they are on this boat, and all these waves are coming and, and crashing and, and, and about to, to tip the boat over, and, and these guys are doing everything they can in their own power to control the situation. They have no power over, over nature. They have no power over what God is allowing to happen in their lives at that time. And so here they are. They're just some little small boat out in the middle of this sea. And just like we are in our own lives and think that we have to have everything under control and we work, 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 and, and we're doing all of this. And, and here's our Savior in the boat asleep. These men were scared that they were going to die and our Savior was asleep. I mean, you know, in our mind, we're, we're yelling and screaming, God, can you not wake up? Can you not see what's going on in my life? Do you not understand that there is a situation going on I have no control over? Well, God does, and he's asleep. And I, I don't know, it was just overwhelming to me that he gave me Psalm 69, Psalm 69, verse 15 especially, and then he turns around and gives me that in Luke chapter 8. And where did they find the peace? They found the peace when they went down in the boat and went to the Savior, and the Savior wakes up and says, peace, be still. And then it said, and all was calm. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what is going on in our lives but I, I can tell you that, that pretty much everybody here, there is some disruptions in our lives. And you're either going through one or you're just coming out of one or you're getting ready to go into one. And, I'm, and, and what a reminder to me, and, and I mentioned this also, God convicted me this week of this very thing. As I'm giving thought to this, and I'm thinking how they go to the Savior and, and he gives us a calm and it reminded me, you preach every Sunday. Sometimes you preach four or five times a week, sometimes six or seven times in a week. I, I, I don't know, over, over a year's time, probably a couple hundred times I, I preach, the, you know, preach a different message. And maybe, there's, maybe it's closer to 300. I, I have no idea. But all of these things, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm reading these things, and, and I'm thinking, Lord, this is good. And, and I'm thinking how I need to write this down so I can preach it in a message. And then that's when God spoke to me, and not literally, you know, but it was almost like it was. And he just said, I give you these things to apply. You need to apply them. You don't just need to preach them. You need to apply them. And I, and I think in my life how often I have read things and, and 
and then preach it and then move on. And I'm not any different than the congregation. And so often the preacher wants to get upset. Matter of fact, I just saw a rant on, on social media this morning from a preacher how people listen and they sit there and they, they listen to the message and then they get up and they walk away and forget everything that they've been told. Well, the reason being is the preacher preaches it and then he turns around and forgets it too. We, we need to apply what God gives us. And, and it was just a powerful week this week in, in God showing himself. And then, then what Teresa just sang was just such a reminder to me of the peace and the calm that only God gives. I mean, nothing better. I, 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 it it kind of reminds me of we were, we were camping one time when I was a kid with some friends on uh, Lake Truman. Anybody ever been to Lake Truman in South Missouri? Man, one of the best bass fishing places in the country. And so, but uh, woke up early that morning. Uh, sun was just coming up. And it's before any of the water skiers are out there, and even before all the big bass boats are buzzing around everywhere. And, and you and you you look at the water, and it was just like glass, no wind, just a complete dead calm. And and I and it just reminds me of how how God wants us to calm down. He he wants us to be quiet and and listen to him and. And then even in that song, apply the things, obey what it is that he gives us. And so, anyway, I just, I wanted to share that as a testimony. Pray that it can be an encouragement to each one of you. Uh, if you're going through some things, go to the Savior. Quit, quit trying to fix everything that you can't fix and, and let God calm the situation. And you know what we do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Let, let God take care of the, the let God take care of the things that we are so afraid that we are going to die, and they are so minimal to him that he's not even awake. That's convicting. They thought he, they were going to die, and he, he hadn't, it hadn't even stirred him up enough to wake him up yet. That's how powerful our God is. Not that it doesn't matter to him. It's just a small thing in the hands of God. Let's turn them over to him. He's the one that can handle that. So in one of those ways that, that he can handle these things and how we need to obey him is also in, in what we're going to see in this passage that Paul is writing in Galatians chapter 5 about the friends that we choose. I, I, I find it uh, amazing to me how how Paul, whenever he was writing to the Corinthians, all the way in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, and how, how we see how, how important it is that we have the right kind of friends and have the right kind of influences in our lives. And, and uh, he, he tells us in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says in verse 32, he says, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You see, there, there were a group of people that were teaching that there was no such thing as a resurrection. And so, and, and here he says, if, 
if I have gone in and I have fought against and stood for the Scripture and stood for the Gospel as, as men that, that he, he, he compares them as beasts, and he said, and you're going to tell me that there is no resurrection, then let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And then he makes this statement. He says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And, and whenever we think about the communication... That is, that is anyone that is a companion. That, that are, that th- those that are dealing with us in our lives, those that are evil will corrupt good manners. I, 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 I think of, I, I, God's been busy in my life this week, and, and sometimes you really do appreciate it, but sometimes you're like, Lord, I can only handle a little bit of this at a time. You know, I, I, the self-esteem is, is running pretty low right at the moment. And so, but, you know, I, I gave thought to this yesterday, thinking about all the evil that's going on in our world. And I, I, it just, it ticks me off. And, and I do get mad. And, and then I start thinking things that I just don't need to think. And then this morning, I, I, I read a report, and it's all these Hollywood people, and, and how vile and vulgar they have gotten over things. And I thought, the way that they're reacting to the things that are good are the same way that I'm acting towards those things that are bad. And God just like, you know what? You need to calm down. I, I, I do have this under control. But as as I give thought to this and I think about all the evil that's around us, how careful we need to be in the friends that we make and, and how careful we need to be in allowing the evil to corrupt us because that is what happens. There, there has to come a point where there is some separation. You, you have to work in the world. I understand that. You have to go in world. God tells us to do so. God tells us to be a witness. God tells us to be a light. God, God tells us not to hold it under uh, a shade or anything, but to let it shine and, and to be out there and be the city that sits on a hill. I, I mean, he tells us all of those things that we need to do, but we need to quit acting like them, and we need to quit letting them corrupt us and, and corrupt our thinking and corrupt our mind, and then ultimately creep into our churches then and corrupt our theology and corrupt what the Word of God has to say. Look, we do not conform the Word of God to what the world thinks. We do not conform our church body into what the world thinks that we ought to be. We are not going to preach what the world tells us that we ought to preach. We're not going to stand back and be mild and and to be politically correct and, and afraid of offending body and, and to, to the ultimate aspect of not saying anything that's going to make anybody upset to where, look, we need to understand that the Word of God is very confrontational because it is a perfect Word of God dealing with an imperfect person. And if we are going to be honest and truthful with ourselves, when God's perfect Word points out imperfections in us, 
It makes us realize, first of all, that we're a sinner in need of a Savior, and by His grace and by faith, we call upon Him to, to, to save us and to forgive us of our sins, come into our heart and, and live in our heart and be with us for all eternity, and He will do so when we, by faith, trust in Him, and He gives us that eternal life, and we praise the Lord for that. And, and, and we can't corrupt that, and we need to understand that that we need to realize that we are a sinner in need of a Savior, and the Word of God is going to be constantly pointing these things out to us until, first of all, you come to the realization that you need a Savior and you trust Him as your Savior. But then He's going to continue to show you, you are a child of God, behave that way. And He's going to continue to show us what we need to do and help us along the way. Well, Satan knows that if there's going to be any power in a believer's life, and if there's going to be any power in in a church body, in in a local church that's reaching into their community, that that he he needs to infiltrate into that and not allow there to be a pure doctrinal teaching and just teaching and preaching the truth of God's Word. Well, that's what he had done to the Galatians. They had infiltrated in, and in doing so, had corrupted the gospel of Christ and the entire book of Galatians. That is exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is teaching them and showing them, look, some people have infiltrated in here, and now they're teaching that you need to be following all the laws of the the Mosaic laws in order to be saved. And And they have this whole list of things that you have to do. Well, in our society today, it may not necessarily be the Mosaic law, but there are those that are going to creep in and they're going to say, look, here's a whole list of, uh, of, of uh, 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 things that you must do out of obedience of God to be a child of God. And so they make this whole list of things that you must do in order to say, when God's word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it shows us that we are saved by faith through grace. Not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. doesn't matter how much works we do, we'll never get there. Well, they had infiltrated in and they had shown them and taught them and, and they were even starting to convince them that they needed to do so, and they needed to go this way. And, and one of the ways that they were starting to convince them is they started slandering Paul and, and started saying things about Paul that were not true and saying things that Paul had not said. And so they were starting to believe these people. And the thing that you need to understand is they got in there and they just kept at it, kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. Never stopping, never stopping. And, and we see that in, in the, the evil that's knocking on the doors around us today. Look, that isn't going to stop. We, we, can, we can vote in the most conservative president and the most conservative Senate and the most conservative House of Representatives that, that this country has ever seen, and evil will continue to knock on the door. It's only God that's going to stop these things. And it's only God that can change because God is the one that's going to change the hearts of the people. And that's what has to be changed. Well, here they come in and so they start seeking at ways to infiltrate into this church and, and, and cause them to stop seeing the importance of, 
of faith alone and started adding works to salvation. Well, and we see that that they have made friends with these people. And we get to verse 7, and and in chapter 5 and chapter 6, we see in this declaration of freedom, we see the freedom that we have in Christ. And and we already saw in the first six verses, we we, we saw the freedom that we have in Christ uh, and and the the, uh, uh, two commands that we have been given to, to stand in freedom and, and to, uh, as he told us, to therefore uh, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. And then the second thing, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage and knowing and understanding that. And so we stand in this freedom. And then we get to verse 7 through 15, and now we see that we also need to stand against deception. And we need to understand that these people had infiltrated into this church and made themselves out to be friendly. And they'd made themselves out to be someone that was very knowledgeable. And look, you know, all, all of the degrees in the world doesn't mean a thing. If they have no spiritual knowledge and, and no spiritual understanding, they'll be unsaved and one day they'll spend an eternity in hell for their rejection of Christ as their Savior. And so here we see a reprehensible company, uh, company that they have here in verses 7 through 12 today. And it shows us in this that this company that we keep will cause some major issues in our lives. And first of all, they'll hinder you. Paul makes a statement. You did run well. In the tense of this, he's saying, you know, you were running so well. Your, your, your life was so good. You, you had come to the knowledge of Christ as your Savior, and, and, and you see how God is doing a work in your life, and, and, you're, and you're walking in this life in a way that is obedient to God's Word, and, and you've been doing this so well. Who did hinder you? Who's the one that is, that is, that is restraining you? Who is it that is wearying you? Look, the, the world is a hard place to live. I, I say this all the time because this is the devil's world. I mean, this is where he's been cast. This is his domain. This is his kingdom. And, and the world system that is out there, the entire world system, is anti-God. And it's totally against what God wants for us. And so, and and it is going to weary us at times and and. That's why you're here today. You come, and, and if you know Christ is your Savior, you come together because we come together to worship God. We come together to hear from God. We come together to pray for one another. We come together as a family to understand that we are hurting people and that, and that we, are, we are tired from all of the attacks that come throughout the week. And we come together and we build each other up and we encourage each other in the Lord and we take you where you are and help you to get to where you need to be. And there is no judgment and there is no uh, uh, chastising. There is none of that. There is only help and love to help each other to get where you need to be. Because we're all in this boat together, and the waves are knocking pretty hard. And we want to help each other to get where you need to be. But legalism doesn't do that. Legalism looks at you and says, man, Sam needs to be doing more. He's ungodly, and he's reprobate, and he's carnal in the actions that he's doing. And he really needs to get his heart right and be much more like I am today in my judgment. And there is no love. 
And so we see that, first of all, it hinders you. Because who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? I don't know if our, yeah, our teens are in here. If you have a friend that tries to get you to disobey your parents, that tries to get you to do something that is contrary to God's word, that tries to get you from doing the things that God wants you to do, they are not a friend. And I know that you might not like to hear that, but they're not a friend. And you need to avoid that. And yeah, somebody might laugh at you. Somebody might say that you're a geek or you're a nerd or I don't know what the names are today. Who cares what they say? You'll give an answer to God one day and then you will care. But you know what I found? It really doesn't change. The pressure is still there. You, you get into the world and you might be 30 years into your salvation and still being pressured by someone to do something that's contrary to what God's Word has to say. And we have to make a choice. And I pray that we make the right choice. Because here he said, you guys were running so well, and then somebody has hindered you. So somebody is, is, is trying to restrain you from obeying the truth. And then he says, this persuasion, <laughs> their, their teaching is not of God. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. God will never lead you to do something contrary to what his word says. The Holy Spirit will not stop you or, 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 will not, or, or will try to stop you if you're doing something contrary to his word. I remember the testimony of the lady that cheated on her husband. And she went to the preacher and she said, as I was driving to that motel room, I prayed that if this is not right, that God, you will stop me. You don't have to have God stop you when you know that it's wrong. Now, she's fortunate that in God's long suffering and mercy that she didn't die right at the moment. I mean, if, if those of us were God, yep, big smoking hole right through the top of the roof of that car where that bolt of lightning whacked her right on top of the head. <laughs> and so we see that He's saying, look, this persuasion, this coercion that's going on cometh not of him that calleth you. And then what does he say? That he shows us that the deception spoils the entire church. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. My, my grandma was, was famous in our county in that area for her homemade hot rolls. And and the sad thing is, is that when she passed away, it went with her. And she had the recipe, but she didn't go by the recipe. She went by the feel of the dough. And, 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 and it was good. Anybody here ever had raw bread dough? Welcome to the club. Yeah, the rest of you need to get your hearts right and try it, all right? Yeah? But, but I, 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 rem, I remember... You know, smelling that. Well, I want you to know that this past week, my wife made homemade Texas Roadhouse rolls. Oh, yeah, I think I gained 12 pounds this week. 
Isn't it amazing how one little roll can add about three rolls? If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you'd make it, and then you got to let it rise, and then you go and you pick it, and then it goes down, and then it's got to rise again. Man, I remember my grandma, she'd stand there with a rolling pin, you know, because I'd sneak in there and snatch a little bit of that and eat it, and then, you know, and it wasn't supposed to go down yet. And it, anyway, it, it was great. But, uh, but it's that yeast that, that causes that. It's the leaven. Well, and it doesn't take very much yeast to make it do that. Well, here, that's what he's saying. It, theologically, these people had come in, and it was just one small thing, and it became a big thing. Some of you like to shoot. I know that Joel likes to do some long-distance shooting. Can you imagine if, I, I just saw too, I think I saw this, where the, some guys just broke the record on the long-distance shot. It's like 6,200 and some feet or something like that. That's over a mile with a high-powered rifle. I mean, yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, but anyway, so let's think about it. You are, you are shooting over a mile away with a, I don't know what it was, let's say a 30 caliber. So let's say it's a 180-grain bullet. So we're, we're talking this thing is not very big around, not very long. You know, it's going to be about that big about that long or whatever, and, and real small around, and it's coming out of a barrel, and it's going to go straight for over a mile and hit that target. Now, they got these little clicks on their scope where they, they can make clicks on it to move that, that reticle to the right or to the left, and they can move it up and they can move it down. Now, at, from here to that, that uh, wall... And if I'm going to shoot the, the electrical box there, that's one thing, you know. And, and I can actually sway a little bit here, and I can still hit it. Well, let's say that that electrical box is 6,200 feet away. Now, all of a sudden, just one click on the scope, and you could miss by 12 feet. You completely miss the mark. Well... Some, some people ha have thought that, Pastor, you are so narrow-minded that there's no way that you can function. But look, we need to guard the truth of the gospel. And, and, and it tells us that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. That just little things that creep in, you might not think are that big of a deal, but a mile down the walk in your life, and you're missing the mark by 12 feet. And another year down the road, you're missing by three miles. And oh, how careful we need to be. And here he says, look, this persuasion, this doesn't come from God. You need to realize that a little leaven leavens the entire lump. And how careful we need to be uh, against these things. Over in 1 Corinthians 5 again, here he was, he was chewing on these guys again for some of the, the idiotic things that they were doing. And, and, and here they were overlooking sin. They weren't dealing with it. And, and by not dealing with it, uh, we see that they were actually bragging about it. And in verse 6 of chapter 5, it says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? 
Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, one of the things that we as believers ought to do when we come to church, and, and, and we, we see these things, and right now, right now, God may be laying something on your heart that isn't right with Him. You're a believer. You know Christ is your Savior, and, and you, are, uh, you make that profession, and so you know that, but God's laying on your heart that there's something that's hindering the fellowship that you have with your Savior. You need to realize that until you confess that and get it right with God, and confession is acknowledging, you acknowledge it to God that it's sin, you, you repent of those things and go the other direction away from it, and get it out of your life. If you do not do that, you are leavening the entire lump. Your sin can and will affect all of us. Let me tell you, those things keep the preacher awake at night. (laughs) They're actually very terrifying. First of all, for my own life, Lord, If I'm not staying right with you, then what in the world am I going to do when I get in the pulpit and preach something? Or what am I going to do in walking in in life and, and all of a sudden I make some radical, insane decision based on the flesh rather than in the spirit? What is it going to do? Now, I know that I'm just one person, but our testimonies and our lives affect a whole lot of people around us and the impact that we have on others. And Satan knows that. And that's why Satan was so much after these people. All these good things were going on, all these wonderful things that were happening. And so Satan is infiltrating in, and there are some, hey, he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah, his teaching is off a little bit, and then he's a little warped in this idea, but it's going to be okay. And pretty soon you're listening to that, and then pretty soon he's slandering Paul, and now they're starting to question Paul. Now they're starting to question what they believe, and then pretty soon they're going to be missing the mark by feet. Know how careful we need to be. And so here, what do we do? But we we understand that we get rid of the leaven in sincerity and truth. We want to be sincere in our walk with God. We want to be sincere in the truth of God's Word in our lives. Look, yeah, we, we should be ashamed of our sin, but we shouldn't be so ashamed that, that we're not willing to deal with it. We deal with it together. We confess it and get it right. That's one of the things that we do here. Get rid of it. Walk out of here in, in, the, in the, the fellowship that you need to have in your life. We're all there together. You know, Satan makes us believe some lie that that person sitting next to you, that other couple next to you, man, they just got it all together. And my life's just falling apart. And I'm too, I'm too ashamed to get these things right. I just need to act more like they do. No, you don't. <laughs> what you don't know is they, they just had the biggest fight of their marriage on the way in. And the only reason their kids are good is because Dramamine works pretty good. 
I'm telling you, you know, I, I mean, you know, people think that we always had it together, and the only reason we had it together on Sunday mornings is I would leave really early in the morning, and then I just left it up with Teresa and the kids to fight it out. <laughs> Didn't know, don't, I'm not suggesting everybody do that, all right? But here, understand, understand the, the, all of this that's going on in this, this church, and, and but now... We see that, that Paul uh, uh, lets them know, look, everybody's going to give an account. I have confidence in you through the Lord. I know. I know through your testimony of salvation. I know the sincerity of trusting Christ and, and how you've been living for God. I have confidence in, in what God is doing, that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. That's a scary statement. That's a scary statement. Paul says, oh, they'll give an account. God's got this. You be obedient to what God's word has to say. And then he goes on. And, and, and now he answers their lies. And apparently part of the slander that was going on is they were also saying, hey, you, you're just not understanding Paul. Paul also believes in circumcision. And he says, and I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? If they're saying that, that I still believe in circumcision and believe in doing all of the Mosaic law, then why are they still trying to kill me? And then he goes on and he makes the statement, then is the offense of the cross ceased. You know what you find? You find in religion that the cross is offensive. Because in religion, it's all about doing. you got to do everything in order to please God. That is what religion is. Religion is do, 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 and hope that I do enough that God will be pleased with me and accept me into heaven. i got news for you. You're never going to make it. You won't make it because you're not dealing with your sin. You, you may be a moral person. You may have great values in your life. You may be living in a society and everybody's looking at you and think, man, this guy's really got it together. But you have never dealt with sin. That is something that is universal in all of our lives. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. And you must deal with your sin. Your works do not deal with your sin. Your works are just going to lead you down a path that keeps you under bondage. And you're going to be bound to that, and you're going to live your whole life under that bondage, and then one day you're going to find out that you're never going to get out of the bondage because you have rejected the only one that can give you freedom and can give you liberty, and you're going to spend your entire eternity bound again. All because you trust in an imperfect work. You haven't dealt with your sin. You've got to deal with your sin. And those that want to live in that religion find the cross to be offensive. So they try to explain it away, however way that they want. It really doesn't matter who Jesus is to a works-based salvation. All that matters are their works. You think about it. You think about anyone that you have a friend that may be based in some kind of a works-based religion And it really and truly does not matter who Jesus is. 
The only important thing is that they do enough to honor and please God. That's what matters. But in true faith, in true faith, in what took place on that cross, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And by faith, whenever we call upon Him to save us, and we accept the the sacrifice that He has made for our salvation, we realize that those works matter nothing. The only work that matters is His death, burial, and resurrection. And through that, we have salvation. And so we see that the cross is an offense to those around. Tells us that you can look later, Romans 9, 31 through 33, tells us that. The cross is the contention and the stumbling block. But then he goes on, and I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of grateful most of the kids are upstairs. He says in verse 12, you, you talk about not being politically correct. This is it. I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. You can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 21, or verse 1. Let, I, I need to do that. Let him just say it himself. All right? 23, 23 verse 1. He that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. That is exactly what he just said. If you don't understand that, just give it some thought for a second. All right? More or less, he said, those that were eunuchs, those that had been castrated, were not going to be allowed into the congregation of the Lord. Now, you go back, I would that they were even castrated, which troubled you. I wish to the point that these characters were never allowed into your church body. Keep them out. That's that's pretty vicious. That is exactly what he's saying. This is detestable to him. He says that they've even gotten in there. You need to throw them out. A little leaven leavens the entire lump. Paul, you're not very politically correct. That's quite offensive. But we see how much he cared, first of all, for the theology and salvation that comes through Christ and how much he loved the people of that church body and willing to protect them. And so then we see the reasonable commitment because now you know all of these things. For brethren, now talking to those that are saved, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Don't think that because you are saved that that you have this liberty now, that that you can go out and act like the rest of the world and and do all the things that the world does and use this as an occasion for the flesh or an opportunity for the flesh. That isn't right. And if you are doing that, then you need to confess that and get it right because you are a child of God. Act like one. And I'm not talking about lists on things that you need to do to be a child of God. He's got it right here. Read it for yourself. 
And you'll find out that God will show you what he wants you to be doing in your life and how you ought to be acting. And the things that he's shown me has been through 30-some years of studying the Word of God. I'm, I'm going to be held accountable for a lot more things than some of you because I've studied it for much longer than you have. But we all need to act like the child of God in what he's showing us and how we ought to act. So use it not for an occasion to the flesh, but three things. By love, serve one another. You know, how, how many times, how many times in our lives could we get rid of the anxiety? Could we get rid of the selfishness or the stress? If we just focus on what God wants us to do, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, let's get back to that. Let's get back to that. Maybe some of you are having problems with your kids at home. And my wife, when, when we were homeschooling, I, I, it was the greatest decision we ever made, but it was also one of the hardest things that we've ever done. And, and I remember there were times when, when I'd come home from the post office, walk 12 miles, and tired. And I'd look at my wife, and I'm like, oh, this is not a good day. And then you got to go deal with something. And, and you might be to that point, not even whether you're homeschooling or not, but sit back and look at your life and evaluate it and ask yourself, am I teaching my child to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first? Is this where we're at? Or are we letting all these other things cause turmoil in our lives that truly don't matter? Don't matter whatsoever. Will not make a difference in their lives later on anyway. And think of the anxiety, the stress, the pressures that can be relieved by just doing that. And here, but by love, serve one another. Someone that teaches, works for salvation, there is no love. You are getting what you earn. And God is obligated to put you into heaven if you are to live perfectly and do all the perfect works, then God is obligated to put you into heaven. There is lo Love has nothing to do with it. There is no reason for God to die on the cross. There is no reason for God to give you the Holy Spirit to help you each day. There is no reason for any of those things because in your power, you are able to do what it takes to get yourself to heaven, and God is obligated for you to do that. There is no need for love whatsoever. God knows, God knew before he ever created any of us that he was going to die on that cross and make the perfect sacrifice because we all sin and come short of the glory of God. And the only way that you're ever going to have a passage into heaven is by faith through Christ. That's it. That's it. That is the experiencing a love 
that is too profound for us to do and truly to completely understand. Because it's supernatural. People don't do that. People do not act that way. But by God's power, working in our lives, who have supernaturally experienced that love, we can serve one another. Think what it'll, it'll revolutionize your life. It'll revolutionize your marriage. If you stop thinking of what your wife owes you, and you start thinking about, okay, God, in my service to you, what do I need to be for my wife? And wives, instead of you thinking about, look at the scumbag that I married, can he not just get it and understand that you do have a man in your life that gets it, and it's God, and he can give you what you need. And you look to him, serve him by serving your husband. And then lo and behold, you know what happens? He's godly. You're godly. You're growing closer to God. You're growing closer to each other. He's meeting your needs. She's meeting your needs. All of a sudden, you have the kind of marriage that God wants you to have. And it is that easy. And your children will see mom and dad that supernaturally love each other, no matter what comes. And then they see that you supernaturally love them because you're helping them to seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Don't worry about the other things. Serve him. Serve him. Works never do that. But love does. Salvation gives us that love where we serve one another. Think about a boss. Think about the effective boss. The effective boss is the one that loves his people and is not standoffish, but is willing to do whatever it is that needs to be done to help. It is. You think about even the great commanders in the military, the ones that were the great leaders, didn't lead from behind. They led from in front. I love the picture of Washington crossing the Delaware. There he is, front of the boat. Lead the way. Charge on. And so we see that we serve one another. And when we think about our church family and praise the Lord for what we have, but what can this be if we all understand that we come together? This isn't about you. It's about God, it's about worshiping Him, and it's about you coming in here and serving others and helping them. It revolutionizes everything. It did me in, in, in my life and my ministry where you stop worrying about the numbers, you stop worrying about finances, you stop worrying about what all the other preachers are thinking, you stop worrying about what the colleges might think or, or some leader that, that makes himself the leader of fundamentalism, you stop caring about what they think and you just are concerned about what God thinks and you serve the people. And God gives you a supernatural love for them. And then he goes on. 
And so, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, the one word in this statement, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, love. Love. Remember I told you at the first of the message and this morning, man, God just like took Thor's hammer and thumped me right on the head with it and said, where is the love? The thoughts that you have towards that which is evil is as wicked as the evil. And I love them. And I want to see them in heaven someday. I should too. I should too. My first response, instead of lock and load, ought to be, do you know my Jesus? That hate that you have in your heart, that envelop you and keep control of you, you can be delivered from it. Yeah, I've been there. And you don't have to stay there. God can give you exactly what you need. Love one another. But if you bite and devour each other, one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. You ever been in a church where it's just like the atmosphere is just thick as ice? You're like, whoo, something going on here. Yeah. It's like you start looking around and seeing who's the devil, right? And you, you go into churches and you hear the fights that they have and the wickedness that's going on. I mean, I, I had a pastor friend that took a church and he went in and he's like, he said, I, I knew God wanted me to take this church, but man, I was uneasy with this. I just had no idea. And, and he said, I wasn't there very long, and I caught the deacon and the piano player messing around with each other, and they're both married, but not to each other. And the wickedness that was in the church and just blew things up. You know, I, I never, ever because I don't believe God wants this, I don't believe God wants us to come in here and look perfect and act like we all have it together and that people can look at you and say, man, you know, that Dusty and Carrie, I, I just wish that, that we were just like them. You know what I want? I want us to come in. And when we're having some issues, seek someone out. Say, would you pray with me today? Could, could we call each other this week? Maybe there's a guy that you're having some issues in your life about some things. You need some accountability. You can go to somebody in this church, another guy, and say, hey, can we just maybe call each other, text each other, and hold each other accountable? Help us to have the right kind of behavior and do what we need to do. Let us be the ones where a young mom can sit down with, with another mom that maybe her kids are grown and say, look, my, my middle child is the spawn of Satan, and I need help. And, and I know that you've gone through, you know, you have three, and your middle child I know was the spawn of Satan too, and I know that maybe you've got some answers, you know. And we help each other. We don't need to bite and devour each other. And those that were teaching legalism, that's exactly what they were doing. Oh, look at him. He didn't wear 
his penny loafers today. He doesn't have Argyle socks on. Worse yet, he didn't polish them. His shoes, not his socks. <laughs> Look at that gaudy dress that she has on today. Ooh, you know, I heard so-and-so's really been having some issues in his life. Too bad. You know, that's not at all what it ought to be. But that is what it is so often. And we don't want it to be. It's not. I don't believe it is here. But Satan knows that. And he's going to do everything he can to stop that and hinder that. Well, let's not let him. Let's stay right with the Lord. Let's keep a close account of our sin and confess it as soon as God convicts us in our heart of something that's going on. Let's not be so proud that we sweep it under the rug, but let's lay it out there, confess it to God, get it right, and if it has affected somebody else, take it to them and say, look, I've been doing this, terrible attitude, it's wrong, and I know that it's causing you some problems in your life too, and I'm sorry, and I don't want any part of this anymore. And hold me accountable and chew me out next time I come in with that kind of an attitude. And let's be a help to each other. And let's guard against the exact problem that they had. And let's see God blow this thing up with people being saved, trusting the Lord, following him in baptism, and letting the whole world know that they're a follower of Christ. And let's turn this county upside down for his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, first of all, for your mercy and your love. It was your love that guided your mercies. It was your love that you showed your mercy by dying on that cross and taking all of the pain, all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the frustrations, all of the inadequacies, all of the wickedness, and you took it upon you. And God put his judgment upon you, and you died. You died for my wickedness, my foolishness. And Lord, then you rose again, and you paved the way for everyone from Adam until the last one that breathes. You have paved a way for salvation and eternal life. And you've made it truly easy for us how excruciating it must have been for you. But I thank you. I thank you that your love drove you there. And that your love is shown to each one of us. That whenever we call upon you, that you reach out and you save us, you restore us, and then you help us. Help us to get through this wicked world with a peace that passeth all understanding. And Father, I pray that you help each one of us to have that today. If we don't have that peace in our heart, show us why. Maybe it's someone needs to trust you as their Savior. Maybe it's someone that has trusted you 
but they have unconfessed sin. Maybe it's, Lord, that we just need to be honest with ourselves and whatever it is, get it right with you. I pray that you bless us. I pray that you stir in our hearts and use us for what you would have us to be. Work in this time as we sing this song. That, Lord, if there are things that we need to do in our lives, now's the time we get those right. Guide us and direct us, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.